Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 28. So, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're not, you know what I'm about to say. Say it with me. Go to my website for all the show notes. You know the drill, my friends. ElizabethRFuller.com. Check out all of my food and product photography while you're there. That's what I do for a living. I can make beautiful photos for you, your friends, your businesses. Hit me up. If you have questions for the podcast, you want to be on the podcast, if you have podcast ideas, if you need culinary sleuthing, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, let's do this, you guys. Today, we are talking about beer. Not just any kind of beer, but lots of different kinds of beer and how to cook with them. And I have an expert on that is going to answer all of your culinary beer questions. And he's been in the business for quite some time. So we talk for quite a while. I really am trying to keep these episodes a little more bite-sized. So I'm going to jump right into this. Oh, my guest. He's so much fun. He really, truly is. He lives breathes, eats, drinks, beer, and it's really a massive part of his life. His whole career is revolving around beer right now. He's the Senior Marketing Director for Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers and Springdale Beer Company. He's also a really good friend. I know, I have a lot of really good friends, but he is and he's a really good time. So without further ado, give a warm, warm, warm welcome to Rob Day from Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers. Hey buddy, what's shaking? Not much, how are you? I'm so good. Okay, hold on, before we get started, wait, check it. There we go. All right, I'm gonna crack mine. Crack yours. So I'm I'm rocking a Jack's Abbey post shift right now because i figured it was kind of apropos because we're like they're all and what are you drinking this is a lemongrass lager it's our summer beer i can't wait to enjoy one of those uh shortly and take a couple of pictures of it so that's awesome i'm gonna pour mine in the glass so i've already given an awesome intro for you but the people (laughs) need to hear it from you too let's hear a little bit about you and where you grew up Yeah, I am Rob Day. I'm the Senior Director of Marketing for Jack's Abbey. I grew up here in Massachusetts, Amesbury to be specific. Uh, Don't know how much you let into your intro, but we've got some family connections. So that's always, that's all, it it runs deep, let's say. Uh, I've known uh, known your family for quite a while and our paths have gone very different directions and have re-merged with uh, the love of beer and food, which is really cool. And I am, both of them are exciting and cool topics to me, and uh, uh, me, Ryan, uh, introduced my, your podcast to me, which was really cool, because uh, I hadn't heard of it before, didn't know you were doing this, I was like, no kidding, like, this is amazing. I can't oh believe, my God, I like, love you. And, uh, you know, instantly you dive in, and there's just such enthusiasm for food, and 
beer is perfect for food. I'm like, we, we've got to talk now. And that yeah. was what I told him. He's like, hold on, I'll make the connection. We're going to do this. I'm like, great, let's go. Oh my God, I love you. Yeah, so for those who hit the 30 second skip button while the intro is happening, which you should not have done because now you're not up to speed. My husband, Todd, is from Amesbury and his cousin is your one of your really good, if not yep. like, best friends. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's a total beer enthusiast. And you guys really fell in love with one another again, later in life because of beer, right? Like, yeah, it's, we, you know, we've had a long, long friendship uh, all the way back to fourth grade, I believe. So Mm -hmm. it's a super long running friendship and yeah, it continues. We evolve in similar ways and beer has been a big part of it. We've done events together, uh, bottle shares, all the normal beer geeky fun stuff. (laughs) He's, he's happy to keep me around. I'm like a supplier these days. People just come. I'm like, okay, let me tap the fridge. See what I have oh for God. you. <laughs> I bet. I seriously bet. So now also, we just talked about it right before we jumped on. You have a fur baby as I yep. have a fur baby. What is your fur baby's name? I need to know. This fur baby is Maisel. Maisel. Yes, Maisel. and hopefully she's good for us today and keeps quiet. <laughs> if not, then we had to we had to introduce her just in case she wants to say hello That's, to the listeners. I like I mean, that. I'm like not going to edit that out. We got to know who Maisel, Maisel's like, yo, I got stuff to talk about beer, dad. I've been around <laughs> you in beer and knocked over enough of your empties to uh, appreciate some of myself. For sure. Right? So now beer's a massive, massive part of your life and has been for a long time. You've made an entire career out of your seriously love and passion for beer. When and why did you fall so in deeply in love with this? That's a great question. It's it's kind of weird how the evolution works. I think very similar to any food passion, any passion in general, you get a snippet of it. And before you know it, 10 years have gone by and it's all you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, coming out of college, I was all cheap beer. I was on the West Coast. So it was Coors branded beer. Miller Genuine Draft was fancy to me. And that's Wait, where on the West Coast were you? I went to school in LA. Oh, okay. I lived in LA. I lived in San Diego for seven years. So oh, cool. Which which ironically is one of the oldest, best beer scenes in the country. It, and- yeah, it popped up out of nowhere. Like when I was there, I was there mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. And like that's when like Stone was getting big. Yep. And all these craft beer places were starting to pop off down there. And then it didn't catch on and in Denver too. And like, I think certain parts of the country, it was just starting to literally pun intended bubble up. And now it's like, I mean, there's a craft beer place literally (laughs) everywhere you go. Like it's insane. But anyway, sorry, you were saying so Southern California. No, that that geography is important for people to understand because uh, Sam Adams and Harpoon started here in Boston the same year, basically 84. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sam was contract brewing, but Harpoon has the first brewery license, actually. So, so most people would guess Sam Adams, but they were contract brewing first. They weren't producing here in Boston at the time. So Harpoon got the jump on them. But on the West Coast, Sierra Nevada was getting things going. Colorado was mm-hmm. the big beer scene. So it wasn't a national phenomenon in the 80s at all. And it took till late 90s, early 2000s for it to bubble up. And I was, I was in school in the 2000s and it, it wasn't a thing, even with San Diego that close by uh, at the college level, especially, I mean, you're broke. Well, it's not you're affordable. Not, like you, ex- you could barely afford Natty ex- or PBR, let alone a stone exactly. IPA, you know? That is, that is the mentality. And it's, it's how I ended up, you know, sneaking into this world is 
I'm drinking cheap beer on the regular. My older brother's in the Marine Corps and he was stationed uh, out there and he came for a visit after a deployment. And he had extra cash as you do in the military, unlike college. <laughs> and he's like, let's go to the store. I'll get whatever you want. And I grabbed Miller High Life. And he's oh my like, God. This is great. Like I'm getting the high life today. And he's like, I said, whatever you want. Like, what's that? And he's <laughs> oh like, all right, you can get your pack of high life, but I'm also going to get you Sierra Stone and a pack of Sam Adams. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Uh, instantly fell in love with all of the others and was like, these are great. I, I need more of this in my life. And whenever the opportunities came up while I was in college, I'd, I'd pick them off here and there or go with friends who had better access to good beer and more money than I did. And my, <laughs> one of my favorite moments at the time, just a quick anecdote is I had my pack of, of high life and was drinking that with a friend who bought stone, arrogant bastards. So he's sure. a big yeah, bomber big of that. Yep. He never had craft beer in his life. This is new, he's a senior, just new to drinking legitimately. Oh, and no. he he's taking sips of it, making that like awful face. And I'm just watching. I was like, you want to trade? He's like, yep. It's oh like this whole bomber of stone, arrogant bastard in exchange for a high life. And I, I won that battle. For um, sure. And then from there, it was really, I knew I wanted to work in the business immediately. But in 2007, when I graduated, there weren't craft beer jobs, really. Mm -hmm. uh, you were either already in it, maybe you could come in doing uh, street sales, but it was very much experience begets jobs, begets experience, and very insular. So I didn't get to jump in immediately. It took me another nine, 10, almost 10 years to, to cross over. And uh, I just kept following the passion for fun, kept uh, sticking with different groups, uh, volunteering for events, learning as much as I could. But yeah, I I worked a full, almost, just about 10 professional years before ever stepping foot in the industry. Wow, that's insane. And like what you just said is probably the most beautiful and important thing that if anyone gets out of this podcast, it's follow that passion for fun. Yeah, because, shut, shut the rest of this down. Right, we're, we're done. done. All right, bye. People. Right, drop that mic. Because Keep at it. Like whenever I'm frustrated with a photo shoot or I'm stuck in something, I always say, how can I make this more fun? How can I bring more fun to this? And once you do, and you bring that fun and levity to whatever you're doing, it immediately takes off in the best possible way, you know? And I think that people get so stuck in their head of like, you know, if they want to be part of the brewery scene, okay, then I guess I got to be a brewer or mm -hmm. maybe I'm not super outgoing and I don't know how to do sales, but I'm wicked geeky and nerdy on like flavor profiles and things like that. It's, you just, you got to keep having fun with it. And like you said, like, just get out there, pound the pavement and don't be no offense. Cause I think you are a mo uh, an old millennial, right? <laughs> right. Am I right with that? So I don't want to offend I, you by I, saying this, but I think, yeah, I think your age group would be considered a millennial, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yes, I, the generation I right before you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I, I, I'm very impressed with your the way that you stuck with it to get to where you are now and where you are now, is huge. Like you, you have a name for yourself in definitely the Boston Metro Boston beer scene for sure. Wouldn't you say? I, would say. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't like saying I things would. like that about myself, but I appreciate that. Um, I would, I'm just, I, then I I'll would. say it for you. I'll say it for you. <laughs> no, okay. So beer, you know, as we just were talking about, super subjective where you have those super light pilsners and lagers up to, I think an arrogant bastard. I don't know if I'm right with this it might be a double IPA or might just be a straight IP. Right. And what, what maybe they, they're actually, uh, 
I forget what, how they categorize it. It's on the barley wine, strong ale side. They okay. don't even the hoppy barley wine. So they don't even consider that in the IPA, but it was super bitter barley wine, which was sort of a predecessor to Imperial. There we go. So what do you think makes a good beer? Like what, what is a good beer taste like to you? A good beer is whatever makes your moment better. Um, there's not. Listen to you with these one-liners, man. I'm <laughs> loving it. I want you to have as many, prom- I'm in marketing. I need, need these audio oh, yeah, one on cycle. Like, Ooh, listen, listen to more. Uh, right? The rest is not that interesting. You got <laughs> um, it's, it's true though. There's, I don't have a single beer style I like. And I've, I've made the joke with my wife and other people. I'll play beer Pandora all day. You give me thumbs up and down and I'll take you in the right direction. But uh, there's just, there's context, there's what you're eating, drinking, doing, what you were doing just before, what you want to be able to do next. You're, the context of how you drink beer is so important. And I'll, you know, as much into craft beer as I am, if it's 90 degrees out and I just worked really hard, you hand me a Michelob Ultra, I'm going to think that's the best beer for that moment. Yeah, it's um, going to taste like water. I mean, it's going to go down like water. Refreshing, it's cold and you're all of a sudden going to be just perceiving it so differently. Yeah. Versus if you're on your seventh beer of the night, you're not even going to taste that beer. Um, If you're sitting down to share with friends and you're able to enjoy something much richer and more robust, if you're having dessert versus a really light fish, uh, if you are out all day in the sun playing yard games versus uh, finishing a hike, all these moments and contexts present opportunities for different beers and being able to have a repertoire of things you know and like uh, gives you the opportunity to come to the table and say, oh, this would be a great beer for this occasion. And some people just have narrow profiles of flavor they like. Yeah. In that case, you can say, oh, I know exactly what direction you're going to go. I'll have a few of those in my fridge every time you come over. And then with people who are willing to experiment, you can sort of nudge them along the train there. You're literally like a beer sommelier. Like, honest to God, like, listen to you talk. You, okay, I have a new idea for you when you're ready What's to that? launch it. I think you need to start a beer sommelier program. I really, okay, well then you need to be like the (laughs) senior VP of it because you, or bring it to Boston and if it's not here already, bring it because my God, you're a me. I could listen to you talk (laughs) and I we are, we are for hours about the nuances and like even the psychographic of what you just described and how to like Venn diagram that shit and drill it down and be like, oh, and here's your perfect beer. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's amazing. It's so satisfying when you get it right too. I, oh, I bet. As is most things in life. Um, so let's talk about tasting beer and how to do a, how do you like properly taste a beer? Meaning when someone's tasting wine, a red should be at a certain temperature. A white should be at a certain temperature with beer. No offense. It feels like it's almost always cold and it's always bubbly. I know there's, I know I'm very being very, very, very generalized here, but the cold and the bubbly sometimes get in the way of the flavor nuances in something. Same thing with wine. Like you don't want to drink. If you're really going to taste to taste, it's not ice cold from the fridge. It's definitely held at a certain temperature to actually bring out those flavors. How do you do it with a beer? It's uh, honestly, I hate to say it. It's almost the same. You want, there are styles meant to be drank at certain temperatures and 
I think the the large breweries of the world have done a very good job of telling you to drink beer ice ice cold, and some of them have staked their entire claim on cold. Uh, nothing more than <laughs> cold, those Rockies, which is, baby. They which is ironic. Out. Yeah, you you can only make beer so cold, and then it's ice. Um, so, <laughs> it's, so it's, we're, it's all the same. But the the re, the the reason for that is two: one, cold and refreshing tied together. Refreshing is an occasion for beer. They want to mm. promote that. But two, it numbs your taste buds. You don't know that it doesn't taste that great and has no flavor. Fair enough. So ice, ice cold, that 32, 33 degrees, not usually appropriate unless you have the really simple Pilsners, rice lagers, uh, which you can have good and bad versions of. But that level of cold is, is great for that style. The more nuanced the flavor, you probably want to warm it up a little. And there's some really great beers, especially out of the barrel-aged programs, that are progressive in flavor and you'd be best to enjoy starting on the cooler side, maybe mid to high thirties and drinking it as it warms up. We used to do, um, there's a beer called delirium tremens, which is, uh-huh. uh, it's been eaten up by larger conglomerates in Belgium, but it's, it's a, it's a mainstay of its style. And that beer, we would order it, pour it, order a second beer, drink the second beer, and then drink the first one to make sure it was right temperature. Because that amount of time, about the time it takes to drink one full beer, it should come up to that like high 40s, low 50s, and no one would serve it at that temperature. So we'd buy it, set it aside, drink another beer, and already wow. have it like, the appropriate temperature. There's more caramel malts to it, more intricate yeast flavors, and they they really shine through. And the reason we poured it out, you, you mentioned carbonation. It affects flavor significantly. Mm. Wine most obviously there's sparkling wines, but majority of wines are flat wines and you don't have that to contend with. Carbonation is wildly, wildly influential on flavor. We just concluded a a study. We have a natural carbonation method called spunding. I won't get into too much detail on that, but that's Mm -hmm. how we do it. There's a crossover method called Krautsen. And then there's a method a lot of people use called forced carbonation. We made the same beer with all three versions and it's currently in lab testing, but we concluded the consumer testing and you can see different ratings across the board. Just what was on the more popular rating? If people knew what the beer was and how it was carbonated, spunding, which is what we do, mm-hmm. if they didn't know, forced carbonation rose to the top. Does forced was, carbonation lead to a different size bubble or more of them? Or You can dial forced carbonation to whatever you like. So okay. we d- tried to dial it to the identical, just change the process. Sure. Uh, obviously, there's some... There's going to be control processes. Every natural process has more variation than Mm -hmm. an exact one. And maybe that's why that rose up. But when it was blind tested, the perception, or sorry, when it was known what we were drinking, spunding was the most popular because people have a good perception of that natural carbonation method. And the ratings were almost identical uh, to blind tasting forced carbs. So if people think that and they feel that, it changes your perception too. So that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm actually looking, I'm at 37 yeah. on my beer fridge behind me. So of course you are. not even down at the 32, 33 that a lot of fridges would be kept at. So if, all right, so and we don't have to go through all of them because there's a, a very large range of beers and the temperatures they should be at. So Pilsners and lagers, you want cooler, maybe like you said in that 35-ish, sure. maybe up to 40, maybe, right? I don't know. I'm guessing. Those, the, the simpler like that, keep them, keep them low, the 33 to 35. Okay. And then what would be the next group and that temp? And then just go through a couple, if you don't you mind. Probably, yeah, you, IPAs, you want, I'd take in that mid to high 30s. 
Okay. You can you can drink them cold. You're just going to numb a lot of the cool hot flavors. So you might not pick up on the more subtle descriptions in a beer, especially mm-hmm. a hoppy beer if it's too low in temperature. So I prefer that in that range. As you get up into the 40s, you're talking more of uh, the Belgian style beers, barrel aged beers. And then uh, there's Cascales, which are basically room temperature done in the low 50s, mm-hmm. uh, often served on gravity kegs. And so that's a popular English style. So you'll see it's it's not true that all English beers are warm. It's just that they have this real cask program that is yeah. relatively warm beer. And people have associated a lot of that. It's like, oh, they serve all their beers warm. No, they don't. There's no, just don't. a style of beer that they yeah. do. Yeah, it's warm. England. Um, we we went to Scotland and spent some time in Edinburgh. And they, oh, great. yeah, they do too. And I love that each pub has its own particular cask like it's not and it's so cool and like I love the way that they serve it the and I lived in Ireland for a while too and there's something about that pub culture in Ireland and in in the UK that it's so just important to their social society Mm -hmm. and you when I was there it was the late 90s and you would see like little kids running around in a pub and coming from I was 19 coming from the U.S. to see that you're like how is this happening right and the internet wasn't really a thing so i i don't know if it had been invented yet at that point i think it had been i'm kidding but um so you know you didn't have google so you couldn't like google it just i just didn't realize it even though it sounds so silly now saying that out loud all right back to beer back to the questions at hand (laughs) um okay so then if you're gonna do say a beer tasting at home Mm -hmm. What, how do you, how would one do a proper beer tasting at home with their friends? What do you think? What, what should be some of the things they're serving? How should they drink them? That's a great one. It, you start with the, the goal of the night. My favorite tasting to do is a variety of a single style. <laughs> I thought and, you meant the goal of the night being getting shit uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm that's never kidding. the goal. It's just a byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> when you see the imagery of 40 tasting glasses lined up, you're like, I know how that ended. Right, 100%. Um, like the last one is my favorite. This is the best beer ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then somebody's like, can we get Domino's? Can somebody get right? What's yeah. still open? Exactly. We'll be pairing this with Domino's at 2 a.m. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's the best pairing ever created ever. in the history of man. Uh, that with Going in with purpose is the first thing. Are you, do you want to teach people about new beers? Do you want mm. to compare a single style? That's That's been my favorite one getting. There's a lot of hype in the, in the craft beer world and sometimes label precede flavor. And people think a beer is better just because they know what it is and they've heard great things. Mm. And I like to strip that away and and go just to the flavor, even though I'm a marketer and I'm on the label side, I'm like, I also care about the substance a lot more and to, to strip the labels away and sit people down and go through flavors and see what people like and don't like is wildly interesting. So I've done a bunch of blind tastings where we're talking equal temperature, equal pours, trying to have it across time, uh, doing rating systems with people. That's, always a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, what I try to, I, I've done beer dinners and it's course for beer. Mm-hmm. I think that's the simplest way to do it. Uh, proper glassware, just like wine, there's more nuanced glassware. This entire shelf behind me that the radio can't see today is wow. a little excessive. Uh, I, I work and operate out of my home bar office. So <laughs> I have awesome. everything accessible to me on a regular basis, but uh, having the right glassware, 
serving at the right temperature, having that just mapped out for how you want it to go. Because what a lot of people think, and this happened in beer culture pretty quickly with a bottle share, people want to show off and bring, you know, the biggest, baddest ass beer they can. You three of those deep, you're, you're not picking up much Your difference. Your palate is shot. And palate's shot. You're getting shit faced. And yeah. you're... Your ability to discern like what is or is not good goes out the window. Best culture contributed to that. Bottle shares contribute to that. And they're all fun. I've done them all. I love them all. Yeah. But if you talk about a proper tasting, like what you want to get out of it, you're you're just going to miss a lot of those great things. I like I would love to end every night on a fancy, bigger, batter ass bottle. Start with some of the more nuanced flavors and subtle things and say, okay, this is what this is. Of course, and and with the big big boys and girls, and and really like show off at the end of a tasting. But it, you don't want to front load with overpowering flavors. So progressive flavors, proper glassware when appropriate, uh, good temperature for the serving, and just really an environment where you can have fun and talk about it, and not feel like you have to crush a bunch of beer. For sure. And so, like, that's a great point like how much should someone serve out of your tasting like two ounces do you think that that because with a wine tasting they're giving you sometimes less than maybe like an ounce and like a lot of times if you're really tasting a ton you're kind of swirling might spit it out might dump it out you know put it in the, the spill bucket because you don't want to get too shit-faced. I mean, your girl has had many a wine yeah. tastings and beer tastings and it has not ended with me being like it ends exactly the way you say we're pairing dominoes at 2 a.m. And the last beer I had was the greatest beer in the planet. And I'm going to buy two cases of it and go home and think, what the hell was I doing? You know, kind of thing. So, yeah. So yeah, how much should how much should somebody pour? I, I don't think there. I think two ounces is too little for hmm. any amount to pick up the complexity of it. And I think the same for wine, to be honest, I, I think it's more about the ABV and some of the liability and expense of a wine tasting. Yeah. Uh, for those companies more than it is like you go to Napa, they're packed in by the, by the block and you can hit six, seven in a day. It's four tastings at four, 12 to 14% do yeah. the math. Like you can't get around during no. that day. You versus, can't even ride that stupid bicycle that you tried you, you to can't ride. Even, you no. can't even ride the bike. Let's, no, there's no, so, no uh-uh. great idea at the time. No. Exactly. You're like, I got this. I'm going to bike and by, no. by winery three, you're like, should have been like pouring the rest should've of that one out. Uh, that one wasn't even that good. Exactly. Why did I yes, it? yes, yes. A thousand percent. You're but, reading my mind. Yes. But this is, this is beer. It's supposed to be fun. And, and with, with two ounces of anything, it's really hard to, to delve in and make any kind of analysis. So what, what are you in? Are you, are you into taste the most amount of beers in a night mm. you need to limit the volume of course but you know having four six eight ounces uh even a we did a beer and cheese event with jasper hill farms Love and jasper hill it, it was for a couple it was a four pack of 16 ounces so everyone had eight ounces approximately of beer per cheese everyone's at home it was virtual mm-hmm. so you know but it equates to you know two cans of beer um you know yeah. or not not really that difficult for most people. I'm, I, some people are more sensitive, but two cans of beer, especially lighter beers, no problem over the course of the night with some with some cheese and snacks and to discuss it and talk about it. That tasting event, wildly popular. We could get into great detail. People could have fun and go back and forth because as someone who knows so much about food, you your first impression may not be your second, third or fourth. And maybe uh-huh. the order, you know, bite, then sip, sip, then bite. Like yeah. it changes everything. Yeah. So 
having eight ounces and a decent piece of food to go back and forth with is, is important. A festival, they're going to pour you two ounces because that's the law of a sample. Um, right. So if you go to a festival, especially in Massachusetts, it's a two ounce pour line and you're going around typically trying to get at a festival, you usually get 30 to 50 pours right. if you work fast. If you got to, and if the lines aren't too long and you really exactly. need to plan when you're peeing at a festival. If Absolutely. you don't plan right for your pee breaks, you're screwed. You're the All lines over. are too long. You might as well just go to a bar. <laughs> it is so true. <laughs> it's right. Right. So um I know you travel a lot. Are there any places that you've gone just to drink beer? And if so, <laughs> did they live up to your expectations? Would you recommend somebody go there? Or you're like, eh, it was good, but the I you blew it up in my head too much. Oh, this is, this is a loaded question. Um, it is. It part is. of, part of how I got into the beer world in interview questions for my first job, my brother and I, who helped get me into craft beer, uh, he, he and I scheduled annual beer brocations <laughs> and we would travel with the exclusive desire to visit breweries and beer bars over the course of a weekend. We had Google Maps laid out. We had plans of attack. We everything for a three day weekend to hit up and learn as much about particular places possible. So the, to the answer to your question, have I ever traveled just for beer? Hell yes. Hell yes. Um, Hell yes. Uh, probably too much, way too much planning and research involved. Uh, all the trips, every one of them lived up to what I was hoping. Um, Asheville being the one I expected to fall short because the hype was so high. Asheville, North Carolina is like beer town, USA. Raleigh. I was just in Raleigh it, two weeks ago. Same like Asheville Raleigh's, and Raleigh. He, I've never seen, I didn't know what a bottle shop was. <laughs> I like it's in North Carolina has it down, man. Like their beer scene's it insane. Does. They have built such a good and Raleigh's the, on the newer side because Asheville's been at it for so yeah. long and they they probably saw the people flying in and driving over and said yeah for sure more of this because you can't like you have to fly into Charlotte or somewhere else to get over there or it's really expensive from cities like ours in Boston mm -hmm. so that that place you're at the foot of the Blue Hills you're in this small small town that you can walk the entirety of and every corner instead of a bar is a brewery or it's a bar steeped in beer culture that you can sit down and say, take me in this direction. The bartender's like, I got you. Yeah. That's, that's what we go for. The, the people that a town gathers like that and the beer culture within. We've done uh, Philly. We've done places in South Carolina. Uh, we've met up in other places and gone to the breweries together. I've traveled a lot. Like Denver is great. It's just, it's exactly what you expect. It's yeah. multitudes. It's a big city. There's breweries everywhere. Same at San Diego. Like yeah. you can dig just layer, layer, layer of every type of brewery you want. Um, and right now I'm on my target list, uh, Richmond has really come up and uh, probably Ann Arbor or somewhere in Michigan. I'd oh. like to hit and catch. Problem is I don't like, I, I, for a Massachusetts person, I hate the cold. So I yeah. only want to travel there in the summer. And I got to like reverse my, my trip yeah. planning. Everything got knocked out last year. So my list is getting longer instead sure. of shorter. Absolutely. <laughs> Any helpful. place internationally that you love to go to that you've been to? Belgium. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry. Yeah. That's the map actually over my shoulder yeah. is 1800s Belgium. It was a uh, bet with my wife that I would make a career in craft beer within five years, which I won in a year and a half. Good and for you. <laughs> I said, I was done with this. She put the bet on. I'm like, now it's 
after thrusters here we're going if uh i won we went to belgium if she won we went to italy so have you gone to italy yet i still haven't been dude (laughs) no what's wrong with you so when uh, we went to italy we went to same trip we went to scotland for a few days and then we went to italy for three weeks (laughs) oh yeah you're taking your wife to italy dude come on (laughs) it's italy who doesn't want to go to italy She's been. I'm the one who hasn't. All right, we well, have to go. You got to drink the Peroni. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so you've got a ton of listener questions. All right, that's good. Hit me. Let's see if All I can right, answer. I, I had to take a sip of my fabulous. Hold on. Let's take a break for <laughs> oh, the, the Jack post-shift. Abbey Lager post shift, everybody. Perfect for our recording time. The shift right? is up. Oh, yeah. I know it is up. Yeah, you're right. So drink them up, guys. Um, okay, Savannah from Instagram asks, what are your top five beers to drink right now? Ooh, like she's in a favorite child, Savannah. Nice one. Yeah. And especially with my broad answer of like I'm pairing beers with context. Like, I know, right? How do I go back from that? You don't. Okay. Um, we'll we'll try though. We'll try. Uh, I'm super biased. I'm starting with my own. I think everyone could expect that. The beer I'm drinking, this ray catcher, lemongrass lager, uh, is just for context, it's summer. It you're here. It switched to 90 degrees about a week ago. It's been 90 degrees every day since. So and it was 40, 48 the day before. Yeah. So that that dial switched. This beer's low alcohol. Lemongrass is an awesome, awesome flavor. If you haven't had it in food uh, or beer or anything, uh, you'll you'll be blown away. It's just a really cool herbal note. Uh, that adds a little bit of citrus spice and on a very clean background, you could drink a hundred of these and just be totally satisfied. I can't wait. It's, it's just awesome. Awesome beer. Um, so this one is always a popular one. I will, this on the trendier side, any Lambic or a goose from Cantillon, which is a Belgian brewery. They're, they're a little bit on the trendier side here in the U S because it's an import that caught, you know, the sour wave, we got to go there on that trip mm-hmm. and experience the space and how they craft beer. I will share, drink, talk about those to the end of the earth. They're still working on a system from like the 1800s to make beer, which is really yeah. cool. And you expect this big operation with how much people talk about it. And then you see this family just in this tiny place that's hundreds of years old doing it the old way. And you're like, wow, this mm-hmm. is incredible. Um, there's, I will always go back to Allagash as a personal favorite. Of course, everybody does in New England. You uh, have to. You know, we there's, there's a bottle behind me of uh, Interlude. It's a beer I've shared with my wife and helped get her into craft beer with that. So a lot of people go Allagash White. It's like the most common. It's their bread and butter. But Allagash Interlude is a special beer to me. And whenever it comes out on shelf, I grab it because she was not a beer person by any means. I'm like, this is not going to work. We're going to figure this out. So <laughs> I went back to beer Pandora. I'm like, try this one. I'm going to crack the nut and open Perfect. that door. So Perfect. yeah, I, I really, really like that opportunity. Cause I was just like, yeah, we can do this. Awesome. <laughs> You're like, we can last. We will not end in divorce. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's three. Um, I'm going to give uh, my brother Earl a shout out. He got me into craft beer and he is a part-time brewer sellerman in Maryland. He experiments with New England IPAs constantly and he's done some really, really cool stuff. They're usually rotating, not repetitives, but it's at Key Brewing down in the Maryland area, cool. uh, just outside of Baltimore. So 
if uh, if you're down in that area, they're pretty well distributed, and uh, his his test series do really well, and I I appreciate that work. What does that get me up to? Four. Four. Uh, you got one more. I feel like I need to throw a stout in here somewhere. But I know, right? Ones? Something. <laughs> going across the board. Um, let's see. You want something? Oh, I had one recently. I like. Uh, trying new breweries here in Massachusetts, Timberyard out in Central Mass. Mm. Um, I'm blanking on the name of their stout, but it uh, had some great campfire artwork. They build a beautiful experience out there. I brought a pack home to share with some people and everyone universally really liked that beer. I'm out of it now, so I have to go back. But go back. Central uh, Mass has some great breweries out there. I love watching it blow up. They have space and yeah. they're now taking advantage of it. And it was, I think there was a little bit of fear of you know, if I build it, will they come? 100%. And, I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, like, yeah. They, they, no one was sure. And now you see it like just dotting the map slowly. Oh, and you're yeah. like, this is awesome. You can make a good trip of it. And because they have space, they can do so much more than, you know, inside our, our little 95 belts here, space is limited and people me. do what they can. But really, once you get outside of that line, like the the canvas is open. They can yeah. And they are taking advantage and there's some cool stuff. So yeah, lots of room to breathe. And for those who don't know, a New England IPA, and correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of more of like that hazy, juicy style. IPA. Yeah, exactly. The the predominant difference is with a New England or hazy, juicy IPA is you're intending to reduce bitterness and increase fruity floralness. Yep. Uh, so if you say you don't like an IPA, try a New England style <laughs> IPA, says Rob, because you will like that one. Absolutely, without a doubt. It's it, it'll turn like the the most adamant people against IPA will find one they like. Yeah. It's just such a broad category now because the flavors go from those aggressive, bitter flavors from history. We were talking about the English flavors and harpoon and stuff like that earthy tone that yeah. it started that long before. And now you have the newest age that people just cranking up the juice. I mean, the, the guidelines for the beer, when they finally added it as a category says hazy juice. It does. It really so does. It's yeah. like, this is what they expect. Haze is based on, you know, the, the process of making it and how it looks. Of course, it doesn't necessarily contribute to the flavor, although it can, uh, but the juiciness is what's expected. And it's really cool. What brewers can do right now to pull oh, those wow. flavors out of a hop. And now let's take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you guys tried Wine Access yet? I am enjoying the most incredible LVE rosé that I got from Wine Access. It's been so hot here in New England. And this rosé, it hits all of the notes that I love. The grapefruit, the strawberry, a little herbaceousness, and that minerally longer finish. I never would have found it if it wasn't for Wine Access. They make finding wine so easy and you know you're in great hands because their team of experts are tasting over 20,000 bottles a year and only choosing the bottles that exceed expectations and over deliver on price. So what are you waiting for? Just go to wineaccess.com slash foodadventures and get $20 off your first order of $50 or more. The discount will be applied at checkout. Again, that's wineaccess.com slash foodadventures for your $20 off today. And now back to the show. It's amazing. Okay, Todd from Massachusetts, full disclosure, uh -oh. my Which husband. Todd is this? Yeah, I know yeah, where this it's is my coming husband. From. Mm -hmm. uh, writes, asks, just asked, 
What if I go to a bar, order a beer, and he wanted me to say it like, go to a bar, order a yeah. beer. I'm not, I can't. Sorry. Order the beer at the bar, I got it. You're right, okay, great. Go pack the car. Um, I, okay, hold on. What if I go to the bar, <laughs> order a beer I've never had before, and I really don't like it? Should I suck it up and drink it, or is it okay to send it back? Todd, suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> suck no, it up, buttercup. Okay, this is gonna have a huge depends. What kind of bar are you at? If oh. you if you're getting a bee at the boss, suck it up and drink it because let's be honest. You don't want to get punched in the face. Correct. Right. If you're at a beer bar, if you're at a place trying to expand your horizons, offer options, they're going to switch it like that and they're going to be happy to do so and point you in a direction you like. But they're also happy to offer you samples in advance and not waste an entire pint. There so you go. please, if you're going to push limit, you're really, really not sure about the style, ask for that. If you ever get a beer that you can identify as not correct, the line's skunk, not good. oxidized, yeah. if it is improperly served and it has gone bad somehow, it's not dangerous to you at all, but it, it's not right, you should be able to send that back anywhere. There is no account that can't get their money back for a keg. And I hate to spill the secrets, but if a beer was uh, given to them improperly, they can call up their distributor and get that keg exchange for a fresh one that day, probably. Unless so, it was the dive bars that I used to bartend at that were like these punk rock dive bars, not going to mention the name. Everyone even, who's listened to other episodes, <laughs> those tap lines were the most disgusting tap lines I've ever seen in my life. They've yes. probably never been cleaned. It was a bar in Central Square. There was an animal <laughs> no, in the name of it. <laughs> just know your place yeah. and, and just you know, order bottles and cans sometimes right. because right. you should. Right, uh, right, right. Let's let's just be real. Like if you're at a beer bar, they're going to take care of you differently than a dive bar with an animal in the name. <laughs> right, exactly. And I probably would have punched somebody in the face. They were like, this tastes like shit. I'd be like, well, you should have yeah. ordered Jack. What do you want uh, me to say? Excuse me, this is oxidized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll oxidize you. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, I don't remember what the guy about? ordered next to you. Now you jackass. Yeah, right. Moving oh, along. <laughs> I was a great bartender. <laughs> okay, I Tony. I'm right. Yeah. 13 years. Tony from New York writes, if you this is a good question. If your house is burning to the ground and your family is out safely, which beers are you going to grab to save? Oh man, which beers am I saving? But the family's safe. House? The pups, Maisel's safe. Your wife's oh, safe. Okay, everyone's safe. Well, I'm looking. the The distance from beer to window is pretty short, so yeah, I so can you save can a lot. A if, I, if I'm saving one, I can save a bunch. Um, quite <laughs> honestly, uh, there's. I've got some tribute beers that I have for like particularly special or personal occasions and they're all in the same bin. Okay, so I'd good. probably just grab that one and put it out. Like, you know, beers that have been important parts of my life that I stocked up on because I'm like every year for as long as this beer lasts me, I want to celebrate that moment or that person. So that's all in like the same area. I'd probably just grab that and shove it out the window to whoever yeah. could reach it and dive out after it. Perfect. Uh, there's no liquid worth saving that you can't really replace. Uh, right. But there's like, there's a few of those that I'd be pretty remiss if I lost that bucket. And if I could save it, I would. <laughs> okay, great. Um, Jeff from Facebook writes, asks, how long does it take to conceptualize a beer and then bring it to market? Oh, that's a really good question. It's, if you're doing it, as a taproom beer, you can move really quickly. You can have an idea one day, if the ingredients are on hand, brew it the next day, 
And it, for an ale, it takes two weeks, lager about six weeks. That's how fast it can go. Um, but that's, that's on like the lowest scale of involvement. You're putting a small batch from your brain to your beer hall. Like that's the shortest distance between two points. In the real world where you're selling beer to distributors and liquor stores and it's going out way beyond your doors, you don't get that flexibility. You don't get second, third, fourth, fifth chances. You have to put product out that's good. And you have to put product out that people are going to want that's well-packaged, well-named, designed. The liquid inside is perfected. Uh, to do that, the what you really should be talking is 18 to 24 months. Oh, wow. Uh, which is difficult. Now that shrinks based on what you expect the beer to do. So in that case, the, the beer I'm holding here is about that period. It's about 18 months uh, in different forms to, to get it to this point. A uh, big part of that, just a printed can these days takes about six months to get into your building. So you have to finish artwork, approve it with all the government agencies and have that done a minimum of six months. It's why a lot of people do these labeled cans. It's yeah. just the time. Um, and from so, a photography standpoint, let me tell you, those labeled cans shoot a heck oh, of a lot better than the reflective ones. Just right. It's, I can do it. I can do it. But man, it, oh, man, they get real hot on those corners with the curvature when you try to light them properly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are well aware of that. problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's so you're thinking if you have six months from when everything is completed, approved <laughs> to just get the can in the house, that means you've formulated it, tested it, proved it all before that. You've designed it, named it, done the research to support it. Uh, it's very easily that long. We're, we do work on shorter timelines, of course. If you're going to release a beer that's a labeled can and you expect it to sell for a season or a mm -hmm. month rather than a, a year round or, or big and launch, right. you can do that in you know four to six months pretty simply. Sometimes we have to move faster, but if we're going to move faster, it means we're playing in a category that we're really good at already. We're not innovating like some real new cool thing. Like if we're going to make the hazy IPA has, you know, infinite permutations, but they're based on a lot of the same methods of manufacturing. And when they innovate a new method, you add it to your, your, you know, mechanism in your process. And now you have a new way to, to mix it up. But once you get good at, at doing it, you can change up time, temperature, hops, uh, malt bills, things you're familiar with and get predictable results mm. um, that are always going to be good. So you can turn those a little bit faster than a truly new innovation. So very long answer to say it's you're like, you know, two weeks to two years yeah. is quite literally the range. And it all depends on on your goals, uh, the resources available to you. You can't expect, you know, the Sam, Sam Adams, when they launch a beer that goes full market overnight, like that's two plus years of development. Wow. That's why it takes them so long too. You see, I think they're pushing uh, a hazy craze now. Like uh, yeah, Wicked Hazy is their beer. The hazy craze has been around, you know, for 10 years. So yeah, and it, especially it takes them in the last time. like five or six, it's really been wicked popular. Exactly. So as yeah. they, as a bigger company hones in on the importance of it and says, okay, we should do this. Then they go into that development phase and then two-ish plus years later, that beer actually comes out at a broad scale. We, we're not big enough to move that, that slowly at this point. We can still be pretty flexible, but I plan my, I start planning my entire next year in July. So oh, yeah. next yeah. month, I'm mapping out my entire beer list for next year. Wow. And 
that includes beers we've already tested in our tap room uh, and a couple that we think we can predict to go a certain way. But that's that's pretty clear. Like that 18 month is is pretty sturdy. Well, people appreciate your beer. Um, <laughs> and that's why it costs so much money. Johnny, Johnny in Denver writes, I love beer, especially when it's hot out, but I put on some COVID pounds and drinking beer all summer isn't going to help get it off. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. True. I hear that you. Is true. Um, are there any beers out there that still taste good, but won't pack pounds on me? Let's see. <laughs> no, hold on. The Pandora's going guys. I can see it. <laughs> I can see the little hamster on the wheel. No, there, there's a lot. You, you have to avoid the double IPAs. Those will push over 300 calories a piece. Mm. Um, you know, I'd, I'd actually just recommend a different diet process. So <laughs> I, I have to do the same. I mean, I'm stuck at home. I work yeah. for a beer company. This is this is a luxury on a weekday for me. I don't usually drink a beer, but I'm on a, I'm here talking beer. I can't right. not we can't, we have, have to. one. Definitely. If I'm not broadcasting or something, I don't drink beer six days a week. I focus it all on Saturday and drink whatever I want. Yep. Um, obviously you can only have so much in a day anyway, and I'm not trying to overdo it, that it limits my ability to, to totally. overdo it. And then I get to drink whichever beers I want and it's more focused. I have a very clean week and then go into the weekend, have a little more fun. Great advice. But it's, it's, you can do it during the, I, I don't really recommend during the week, but you're anything under 5% is going to be better for you because alcohol is calories. So yep. if you're watching calories, that's important the lighter beers pushing really light flavors that, you know, they're not all that great tasting just because you can't put much flavor once you pull the malts out. But oh, they wait, will I'll be, be honest, carb. this Pilsner, it's 4.7. Yep. It has a ton of flavor in it. And as it's warming up while we're talking, like you said, the flavors are coming out so much more. Um, you get more biscuit cracker out of that yeah. one over time. It's yeah, really that's, good. Yeah, for the alcohol in that, the malt bill is, is well supported. But that's the problem too, is what's, what goes into making beer, malt being the main ingredient that contributes to calories and alcohol. That's what you have to focus on in terms of, you know, what you're trying to get in the better for you, can't say healthy, uh, in the better for mm-hmm. you selection. So your options are really to focus on the lower alcohol under 5%, which will limit your calories uh, always, even if they're on the maltier side. So that's that the one you're drinking, if I'm guessing off the top of my head, is probably still 160 calories for a can, which isn't awful, but it's not low. I don't um, does it say it? No, n- most beer doesn't. Um, uh, then there's there's been a series of beers that have come out in that 100 calorie range. And the non-alcoholic ones are catching up in terms of uh, being better. There's a brewery out of Connecticut called Athletic. Mm-hmm. And because they're non-alcoholic, the calories are cut significantly and they do a pretty pretty strong job brewing. In my opinion, I really like what they put together um, as a program. They're cup, they're not super new, but they're relatively new. And then uh, there's been some just interesting innovations on hopped water, for instance, from Lagunitas is just kind of a cool product. Mm. It's more of a seltzer. It's not a beer by any means, but if you like hop flavor, <laughs> it's like a hopped water seltzer instead of like a lemon seltzer or something like that. Uh, I think it's zero calories and you're just going to pack in hop flavor for a day. There's no variety in it. There's just one brand available. That's super but, interesting though. Yeah. Something weird to try. And and I've brought it to some parties on the days I'm not drinking, but other people are. And you're like, yeah. well, I'm going to have something. It's going to be hop water. I don't care. Oh yeah. I know. I hear when I was in Raleigh, there was a point where we were bouncing around to too many uh, bottle shops. And I was like, 
I can't drink any more beer right now. So I grabbed like a CBD water and I was like, this is great. I'll exactly. water it up. Like perfect. Um, exactly. Okay. Susie from Instagram writes, I want to host a backyard higher end kind of party in a few All weeks right. for my husband's 50th birthday. Rather than just putting a cooler with beer out, I want to do, <clears throat> I want to do some of his favorite beers and make a whole theme dinner around it. Do you have any recipes that might go good with main beer companies, lunch and dinner? Ooh, this is like incredibly specific. <laughs> it is. Uh, I asked you if you wanted the questions ahead of time. You didn't say they were going to get this detailed. <laughs> Susie, get at me later. The Rob J Day on Instagram. You'll find me. Right. Um, I will get you specific answers, but here's here's what I'm going to give you. I know and I'll put it. everything in the show notes. So you can e- shoot me an email afterwards and we can put it in the no, show notes it's, for it. No, I don't need to. I'm going to do this off the cuff. All right, so let's do for, it. Let's do for it. For main beer lunch, it's a, it is is a more robust IPA. It's got incredibly fresh flavors. You're going to want to go with, uh, I would do that maybe as if you're doing multiple appetizers, second appetizer towards your main course, mm. fo- focusing on bigger or spicier fish tacos uh here's where i want you to be careful though because if you're going to go to dinner which will be after lunch you'd serve those in sequence you're going to need your most robust so that's where you'd go for something a little fattier if you're doing like a brisket um something with texture because the carbonation the the citrus spice and the depth of a dinner will cut your fattier foods so depending on how you're theming your dinner you can get that medium to light spicy dense fatty food for lunch Mm -hmm. and then go bigger and like almost stew like but it's I think we're talking summer here so you don't want to stew you could do like a if you went like smoked beef brisket or something like that yeah right go for your your bigger bolder flavor and the fattier food to go with dinner go with something a step down from that to go with lunch and if you're having like a lighter appetizer, you'll want to add like a Pilsner to start your meal, something really like what you're drinking now, post-ship yeah. Pilsner, anything in that range that's going to be lighter, biscuity, you put that with like a whitefish appetizer, scallops, yeah. uh, lobster appetizer, something really simple. Yeah. And then Maine add- has the, um, what is it? Pretty little something. Yeah. I, I think, think that's one of theirs. That's yep. a lighter beer, but yeah. Exactly. And then when, but... and they have mean old Tom, if you want to stick in the main beer oh. company range. Finish with that with your dessert. That's a big, robust uh, stout. Not, it's not even that big. It has great like roasted flavors, and they've had like the Black Barn series. I'm I'm shooting mm-hmm. off the top of my head yeah. here, but it's a rotating series of stouts that's uh, incredibly dense. That'll go great with a lot of desserts, and I'd recommend if you do a dessert that has chocolate as your bridge flavor, get something fruity in the dessert, like a chocolate raspberry to go and build from the coffee roasted notes and challenge yourself a little bit further. Well, look at you go. God, I I eat a lot. (laughs) I adore you. Okay. Nicole in Tennessee writes, I I'm guessing you drink a ton of beer and probably have had everything right now under the sun. What are your favorite trends in beer that you're seeing? Oh, that's fantastic. And yes, I, I've had way too many uh, share of beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very fortunate and having working at a lager only company with Jack's Abbey, that is a major trend right now is I think in all types of cultural flows, as you go too far one direction, there's yeah. a natural tendency to pull back. So big aggressive flavors have been the lay of the land for a long time while lagers and subtlety sort of sat in the background. Now it's shifting the other way. 
where you can appreciate the nuance of you take the first sip of the beer you had, you're like, good beer. It tastes like beer. Yeah. Minutes later, you're like, oh, there's some different flavors here. Oh, I'm picking up something else. Like subtlety is, is coming back as a popular, popular trend. I think locally sourced ingredients have reached a new height and people are being extremely conscious of where they come from and using beer as a platform to tell other people's stories. I think that's incredibly important for lots of reasons. It's yeah. more interesting. Yeah. Um, if you use coffee in a beer, put the extra step in, find a coffee roaster, sourcing partner, someone interested to tell that story. Same with chocolate, cacao. We're lucky here in Boston. We have all of these things like at our fingertips. There's no reason not to use them. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, you want a Mexican stone ground You're chocolate? Taza. There's Taza. Like yeah. it's yeah. right here. They they make yeah. their own stones and grind chocolate. Like it's you can do that. Too. Yeah. Um, you, you know, coffee, infinite, infinite choice. And we did a project with um, this the, a woman in Shrewsbury, JNP Coffee. She sources all of her beans from Burundi, roasts them at a, a third party company in Jersey specific to people's tastes. She does it for a lot of companies around here. But when we when we were looking up like cool coffees to use, we're like, how is she in Shrewsbury sourcing from Burundi? Like what a wild story. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. It makes no happen. sense. But we are super lucky here to have all these things at our fingertips and we'd be ignorant not to use them. But it's a trend I really like. And I think more people are getting behind it. And then quite frankly, I love the creativity on the label side. Like the liquid inside is great. There's people have tried every type of trend inside the can I feel is imaginable mm -hmm. and the expression on the outside of the can is is really caught up lately and giving people a cool platform to tell fun visual stories and just really you know express themselves in different ways yeah I totally agree with you there's some amazing artwork and artists that are doing this artwork for yeah. these companies that I bow down to and again any labels that aren't shinier from a photography standpoint. <laughs> you like matte black everything. Let's Not go. Matte everything, please, people. Please. There's only so much diffusion at film you can put up. Um, it's true. Je oh my God. Jeannie from Facebook asked, this is so funny. Hard seltzers, yes or no? No. No. All right, Next. Jeannie, moving on. Next. I'm um, going to give one caveat. <laughs> I, I I can't just stop at that blunt of an no. answer for Jeannie. It's a great question. My personal answer is no. Uh, my one caveat is uh, Spindrift. Uh, Do Spindrift, you like their new, they're, they're good. So I haven't had them, but I intend to buy them. It'll be the first one I purchase with my money. Uh -huh. um, yeah, they're like 25 bucks. Oh, wow. Okay. Didn't know that, but yeah. still going to do it because yep. I love Spindrift as a company. Yep. They are a seltzer company. It is true to who they are. It makes sense. If you're a company who's made your hay, like doing robust dessert stouts and you come at me with a seltzer, I don't give a fuck. I'm yeah. sorry. I just yeah. can't. And I won't. And that means you've kind of, you're, you're chasing your tail at this point. And, yep. you know, it, do you, whatever you is, do it. For sure. <laughs> and that's why I can't knock a Spindrift or any of these companies that really started that way. Even White Claw, I mean, it's not my, my thing. I don't, their company is a massive billion dollar corporation. That's not really right. Like truly. Mind. And yeah, it, all these companies, like they're, they're giant. Like they're not going to give them my truly money. Truly got but... bought by uh, Sam Adams though, didn't they? They always have been Sam Adams. They're Sam Adams. Okay. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it's not where I'm going to go, but a company like Spindrift, I like how they do business. They use real fruit in their product. They have a yep. reason to exist and it's true to who they are. Like get after it. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. So we got to, you and I, some Spindrift. That's done. Um, okay. Martine in California asks, I went to a brewery out of state recently for the first time in a long time. 
and bought my bought way too much beer to bring home. Honestly, drinking the beer now, it's not as good as I thought it was when I was at the brewery. <laughs> we hear you. You and me both, Martine. <laughs> right? I mostly it's mostly different IPAs. Do you have any good recipe ideas for an IPA? Well, you kind of just mentioned a couple. Yeah, uh, those are those are pairings for the most part. Here's here's where IPA is super useful. You can poach chicken and IPA, and it comes mm. out great. Um, very simple stovetop poaching. I think it's like about a can of IPA plus your spices, and you're on a, a low simmer in the the pan for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, flip it once, and you're good. Uh, you usually want to make a sauce or something to go with that. Chimichurri with IPA is always phenomenal. Uh, our blog might have the exact recipe. I don't cook a lot by recipe. It's sure. like, I, especially a chimichurri, like I'm throwing IPA in there. I'm throwing spices in there yeah. and yeah, we're, we're going to get there eventually. Totally. Um, but look up, look up chimichurri recipes and substitute that in any place. I would argue any place you use chicken stock, you could substitute Ooh. those IPAs. Okay. Uh, if you try one that doesn't work, tell me I'm wrong, but I haven't found one yet. Uh, it's, it's very interesting because it does a lot of the same things in, in a different way. It brings the moisture, uh, the alcohol all cooks off and you're left with sort of some of the resiny spiciness. Now I won't say that for every IPA cause I haven't had or cooked with everyone. If there's, a, if there's a lot of sediment in it, I'd be nervous to do that. Um, the hazier they get, some people's processes aren't that refined, and I'd be nervous how that cooks off. Um, okay, good to know. So not, not seeing what Martine has in front of him here to cook yeah, with. Yeah, right. I, I use that a lot. Um, and then my, if you go follow the Beeriness on Instagram, she is uh, one of my favorite people in food beer. She's written three cookbooks, I want to say. Wow. And uh, does amazing stuff on her Instagram with food and uh, beer constantly. So. Cool. If I don't, if none of those, you know, pique your interest, she's got something better, I guarantee. Awesome. We'll put some stuff in the show notes for Martine. Vincent in Arizona asks, is there really a big difference in flavor between a double IPA and an IPA? Ooh, not technically. It doesn't have to be. Uh, Half my answers have been, it depends, which sounds really dumb, but it's true. it It does depend. Double IPA and IPA are only defined by their difference in alcohol. And a skilled Double IPA is higher, right? And it's supposed to be, correct me if I'm wrong, less bitter because it's, right? It's supposed to be, no, don't look at you. No, not necessarily. Um, It depends. It depends. It does. It does. There's ranges to everything. Um, Unfortunately, there's not black and white answers for these things. And part of the problem with the it depends answer is, it's perception versus reality. So beer can be technically and scientifically more bitter, but tastes sweeter. And that's because a double IPA, for instance, has more malt in it, which is sweeter. And if it's left residual and under attenuated, which is less uh, fermented, that leaves malt sugars in the beer to balance the hoppiness. So if you have a really super bitter beer on the metrics for how much you added to it, but you also have all this sweetness from malt, in your mouth, you don't taste the bitterness. They blend together and you get somewhere in between and it works in balance. So that's why it always ends up, it depends. If you attenuate all that malt out and really dry out the beer and bring up the alcohol by doing that, because as you ferment the sugars, it becomes alcohol and CO2, then you're left with the bitterness from the hops that you added. And hops, just like tea or any herbal thing, uh, the more you boil them, 
or the longer they boil, the more bitterness you get out versus late flavors. So if you're using the same amount of hops early in the process, you get more bitter flavors. If you use them after you've killed the heat, you only get fruit floral um, and those citrusy flavors. So you're like Mr. Wizard of beer. I love you. All of this stuff is like, again, it's 14 years of it's amazing like buried in the back of my brain till someone gets me going but i love it it's that's that's why everything is it depends too because you can toy with all of this as you please but you could have an ipa and mistake it for a double and vice versa depending on how the brewer is trying to achieve what they're trying and how drunk you are sure and that (laughs) (laughs) okay patrick from instagram writes sometimes i order a beer to go with food when i'm out and before i eat the food the beer tastes fine but then once i start eating the beer tastes more bitter and honestly it makes me not want to drink it Mm -hmm. okay why does this happen and are there better beers to eat with food than others maybe i'm just ordering wrong no you're you're not this is exactly what we just talked about it's relative perception effect and when you're eating if there's more sweetness in the food you just ate you're only going to pick up the The bitter bitter notes. notes that stand out so when you mesh any two things together beer and food wine and food uh all these items what's going to happen is the flavors that are mutual to the two get muted and the flavors that are not mutual get accentuated. So if you are drinking, say, a balanced IPA, but have a sweet food as well, it's going to mute your sweet flavors in the beer. You're only going to perceive the more bitter flavors. So there's not a particular beer that's better, except the one exception is honestly light and mid-grade lagers are built for food. They have light biscuity sweetness. They're never too much. So our house lager, the post-shift Pilsner you're drinking, that type of flavor always complements back to a very, very wide range of food. Not everything, of course, but a much wider range of foods from soft white fishes to spicy tacos, burgers. It's just, it'll go across and it cuts fat well and it refreshes the palate for the next taste. It makes the food the hero more than the beer. Mm. Um, On the flip side, scientifically proven cheese makes all drinks better which is interesting the enzymes and the fat coat your palate and like they accentuate great flavors without competing with almost anything else which is why that's such a common pairing so if you ate bites of good cheese with that beer you'd probably have a different perception than whatever regular food you're eating so it's not you you're not crazy it's really happening (laughs) and it's really that the food's going to mute those common flavors every time So you want to be careful what you choose, depending on what you're going to eat. Okay. I love it. Oh, Susanna, don't you cry for me. So Susanna in Texas writes, God, this is such, I could have written this question. The older I get, the worse my hangovers are. Girl, I hear you. Do some beers give you less of a hangover than others? If so, what are they? Oh man. I don't know. Water, uh, Susanna. Drink water, I, take Advil, and eat pizza before you go to bed. All, all of those things. I, I recommend the less sugar, the better in everything. Yeah. Um, and the way you have the, so that's less sweet beers, more attenuated, which is fermented. So you want malt sugars and things to be gone from the beer as much as possible if you're worried about a hangover. Sugar is just, it seems like a catalyst for all hangovers. If you drink those like pre-mixed drinks, you're more likely to be a little messed up the next day. Uh, Certain wines that are a little bit on the sweeter side leave you a little messy the next day. 
I am, I'm like genetically predisposed not to have hangovers. So I am. Oh, you're one of those jerks. I am totally that jerk. And it is, I'm like waiting for the day it comes to catch up to me at at like the minute I turn 40. Because you know how many of my friends that went down that road that could not get hangovers, (laughs) but then became alcoholics because they never felt the pain. That's the reason you don't want to drink the next days because the hangover is so brutal and you're 20, you know, like literally. Yeah. It's a, it's a real scary, like, Hey, yeah, no problem. Oh, Um, you're so lucky. For sure. For sure. But I, you know, everyone I hang out with pretty much has that issue and there's no one particular product for anybody. And it, it does seem keeping sugar out and keeping water up while you go is your best bet all the time. It's not a perfect solution, but hopefully it helps. And the only other suggestion I have from my years of experience and not that I'm a huge drinker anymore, but, uh, cause the hangovers are so bad, but if I drink earlier in the day, not that you want to drink, not that you want to start at like noon You're or like, something. My alarm went off and I popped the beer because right? I didn't want to be hungover the Seriously. next day. But like, if I have, if say like four or five o'clock, I have a couple of beers and then I stop before at a decent time before I go to bed and can drink enough mm-hmm. water it seems to alleviate most of the hangover. And again, just don't drink so much. The older you get, Susanna, the more you can't drink. So unless you're Rob Day, who apparently doesn't get hangovers. So on you. Little known um, fact. All right. So we're wrapping this up. We have to talk. It's a food podcast. So we need to talk about what you're cooking right now. What are you cooking? And are you cooking with beer? It doesn't need to be. But what are you into for food right now at home or out and about? Ooh, um that's a great one. I am. I do cook with beer pretty regularly. I've been off it a little bit. We're in summer season. So I switched the grill, marinated meats, uh, just natural transition to the outdoor space sure. because we have it and you should take advantage. And of it's New England. England. And exactly. you're guilted as a child if you're not going outside and playing with your friends it, on a nice day. Literally, it, that's legitimate what guilt. In us. Yeah. Yeah. It and it's, you don't know where it comes from when you're, you know, 20s, then 30s and 40s, but you're like, oh, I have to go outside. You or have to go outside. It's from being a child and your mom going, go outside. It's too nice out. Go outside. Exactly. It's exactly where it comes from. Yeah. And so all my cooking trends head outside now. Uh, it's fun to hit the smoker a little bit mm. and do do turkeys, do lots of vegetables on the grill, which is a lot of fun. I think, you know, if you can... I love charred foods, especially how they pair with liquids. So like getting broccoli on the grill and getting it all crispy on the edges, like that's the goal. Um, Playing with some different things out there has been fun. I, over COVID, I made sure to like get new cookbooks and play with recipes on a regular basis, learn some new skills. So I I poached a bunch of new stuff, made some new sauces. That's where the chimichurri actually came from. I like spent weeks playing with chimichurri recipes. Mm. I love I love it. And you make one batch to keep it in the fridge and it goes with like seven foods for the next two weeks. So totally. you can, you can have fun with that. Um, I've been trying to cook more fishes. I, I came to fish later in life and mm. I, I love a lot of different uh, fishes to cook with now, but I'm still learning the process because it wasn't my favorite type of food before. And I still not big on shellfish, which is weird for a New Englander, but yeah. everything else, like yeah, I'll get out there, do some some halibut and swordfish and different tilapia recipes and trying to play around a little bit more in that world and learn some different techniques to, to do that up. Um, when I cook, it's very like I can wander a grocery store, pick five ingredients, go home and cook it. And that's yeah. my preference. Uh, but I need a recipe book to learn new stuff sometimes. So I'm like, oh, these will work together. I just go make it. 
because I've learned those like basic building blocks and like to play with them. But anything outside, like let's, let's go play. Like the grilling can be so much fun. And yeah, it's a, for sure. What's your favorite yeah. cookbook that you just recently bought in deep dough? Oh, it's one of the BRNS ones. I bought two in a row. So I'm trying mm. to remember which one ended up topping the list. Uh, there's like a bites and beers, which is just mostly app based. Uh, mm. So it's fun to cook for parties. Uh, and it goes like across the, the different, spectrum so regular appetizers sides to go with your meal so it, it crisscrosses a bunch of different things and learned uh, some some fun new techniques through that i love that okay so how do people find you promote yourself my friend go ahead ah. give them all the info tell them all, <laughs> tell them everything the only the only place i hang out digitally is instagram so yep. we can we can head over to uh the rob j day there uh if you're business minded, I actually love LinkedIn. I spend too much time on that one as well, but not a lot of people are typically on LinkedIn. So it's kind of an insular community there, but share some good beer news uh, or come drink at Jack's Abbey. I'm there sometimes. In Framingham, Massachusetts, <laughs> definitely. Yep. And if he's not there, eat some pizza and enjoy the beer. Yeah. Last question. All right. If COVID wasn't a thing, which it kind of isn't anymore, and you had all the money in the world, where Ooh. are you going and what are you eating slash drinking? Oh man. All right. I got, I'm, I'm going to go to Italy, I guess, and get Cacio al Pepe. Uh, that's well, then you're going to Rome because you're exactly. only getting Cacio al Pepe in Rome. Just you're not getting Stanley, it anywhere else. I know. I just watched the Stanley Tucci thing. I might just want to repeat oh. his tour. So let's call it that and nothing else. All right, done. I have to put that early in my list. What I'd really probably do is, is, get a kick-ass RV and hit every beer town in this country. Um, but if it's food-based, I do desperately want to go to Italy. And I think I'd just follow his map and do that entire tour okay. on my own. And every day with your wife, own. with your wife, you take your oh. wife. Oh, of course. Not yeah. On yeah, your sure. own. Let's just right, accept for the record. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. yeah, she's probably gonna yeah. listen to this. Hopefully she doesn't make it to the final minutes. <laughs> oh my god, she's gonna murder you in your sleep. <laughs> she's like, like you're going on your own, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah, I can I can hear her now. She's a little spitfire too. I love her. Oh yeah. You'll <laughs> get you good. Buddy, I love you so much. It was so good to see your face. This I can't wait awesome. to drink with you at Jack's Abbey. You're amazing. And thank you. You are. On. Thank you for having me. This is a ton of fun. I hope people enjoy it. I'm sure they will. I'll see you later, bud. Great. Bye. Bye. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I don't know about you guys, but I am now dying for a cold beer. Thank God it's Friday. You live in the area, please check out Jack's Abbey in Framingham. I'm going to link all of Rob's information in the show notes as well as everything we talked about. Go to my website, elizabethrfuller.com for everything. You have questions for the podcast. If you want to hit me up for food photography, whatever it may be, I'm here for you. Shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. And here we are at the end. Thank you all so much. I'll see you next Friday. Lead with kindness. Cook some yummy food this weekend. And take care of one another. Bye.